1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson.
3: It's Thursday, June 30th, 2022. We're on the precipice of July. Thank you for tuning in to the Guy Benson Show. I'm your host, Guy Benson. Every weekday from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern time right here, we are glad to have you all along. If you can't listen between those hours, which we always recommend, we do have a podcast as well. It is on demand. It is free of charge, no cost to you. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcasts.com, ...or wherever you get your podcasts. All the resources that you might need about the program in one place at GuyBensonShow.com. I'm the political editor at TownHall.com, Fox News contributor. I'll be joining Kennedy tonight on Fox Business Network in the 7 p.m. Eastern hour, so looking forward to that. If you have a pen and paper in front of you, maybe just jot down our toll-free telephone number for later in the show. We're going to be taking some calls, which we do from time to time here... Our number, 833-456-1300, 833-456-1300. We'll tell you about the topic coming up later on this hour. We'll get to our first guest here in just a moment, and then a heads up that later on in the show, Martha McCallum will be joining us in our middle hour, and then our friend Janice Dean in our final hour, the happy hour, just after 5 p.m. Eastern. So that is all ahead on today's program. But joining us now to kick things off, his very first time here on The Guy Benson Show, it is Adam Laxalt, who is now the Republican nominee for U.S. Senate in Nevada. He's the former attorney general of that state. He has a real shot at knocking off the Democratic incumbent in that race in November. If Republicans want to win back the Senate, this race is a crucial one and a golden opportunity for a pickup to flip a seat from blue to red and Adam it's great to have you here welcome thanks so much thanks for having me on just give us a little background about you and where you come from and for the audience most of which here does not live in Nevada why should they be looking at following caring about the race that you are running against Senator Catherine Cortez Masto the Democrat
4: yeah look I think this is one of the premier matchups in the country And given the issues going on in America right now, uh, to have two former attorneys general going to battle over the direction of my state and the direction of our country, you know, you you really can't have a better matchup. She was a two-term attorney general. I took over uh, her office in 2014. And, you know, as I remind voters every single day, you know, with the border, with all the law and order issues – uh, you know, an attorney general should be able to step away from these far-left policies and actually stand with the American people. And uh, my opponent has a very, very terrible open border record. Uh, she continues to try to run that she fights against human trafficking, for for, for one example. Uh, when we all just saw uh, that that horrible scene yesterday in San Antonio which is a direct result of these Biden open border policies. And so, um, you know, we have a strong record from when I was attorney general of of standing for these values. And, uh, you know, I think the voters are gonna have a really, really stark choice considering Nevada is number two in gas prices in America. And uh, pe- people may think, okay, we're next to California, so that Nevada's probably used to high gas. And they would be wrong. <laughs> you know, we we, we had two dollar gas in and, and just 2020. Uh, we our gas has never looked like California. But right now uh, we are at six dollars a gallon and we look just behind California. And so inflation is the same. We're number two in the country for inflation. And so all these big issues that are going on across the country are, are at the you know, the, much worse in Nevada than they are in, in most of America. And we have a senator that has just refused to break from from the base of her party. And, uh, you know, especially given her background, she should have known better.
3: Yeah. And now voters will have an opportunity in Nevada to make a change, not just in that race, but across the state and across the country. You mentioned, you know, a lot of Americans are feeling the pinch. A lot of Americans are in pain over gas prices and inflation. But as you noted, it's worse in your state. And I think that has to come back to, among other things, the voting record of people sent to Washington, D.C. to represent Nevadans. Right. Senator Cortez Masto. I don't think I cannot think off the top of my head. And I follow this stuff pretty closely of a single time that she has in any meaningful way broken from the leadership of her party. If Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi tell her to do something, she does it. She's basically the embodiment of a generic Democrat in a Democratic Party that is lurching further and further left, not only did she vote for the $2 trillion in inflationary spending last year, she was also in favor of, along with every Democrat in her caucus except for Manchin and Cinema, she was one of the rest of the herd stampeding toward $5 trillion more in new spending, which would be even worse right now. The inflation, if you can imagine it, would be worse if – Senator Cortez Masto had gotten her way and followed the leadership. It just seems like what she represents in D.C. is a lockstep guaranteed vote for whatever the Democrat Party leadership demands. And I don't know if that's really going to play very well this year, this cycle, given the results that we're all living through.
4: Well, you know, and and just exactly as as voters hopefully are 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 on to all these Democrat politicians now, uh, she spends every single day trying to pretend she's a moderate and trying to you know right. present some image of of not being that candidate. And usually, I get to start and stop with one proof point, which is exactly what you just said to all of your listeners, which is. No one can name a time she stood with Joe Manchin, when our country needed her, needed her to, and when our state needed her to, because she hasn't. And all the big key issues, she was not there. She's in the same swing state environment as Kirsten Cinema, and she could have taken the same steps that she has over the last few years, but our senator has not. No, she uh, votes like Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, exactly. Her her, she, her, her voting record is. with Bernie Sanders and 97% with Biden. And and so, again, then she'll turn and lie to the voters with the help of of media, of course. And she's handing out, you know, $12,000 grants to law enforcement and trying to fool people that she's not anti-law enforcement. When in 2020, you know, she, she said that cops are systemically racist and the system needs to be overhauled. She voted for the George Floyd Policing Act. Uh, and you know these same Democrats in our state, which you know we have great law enforcement in Nevada, and you know I was honored to be the, the top law enforcement officer and work with them every single day. Well, these Democrats will stand with law enforcement at the at the ribbon cuttings and you know take all the upside of standing with law enforcement when when it's election time, um, but when they needed them to stand up for them in 2020 and say. Uh, look, are all law enforcement agencies in America perfect? No, of course there's some that that that, that need change. But our law enforcement ha- did not have that stuff going on, and she was nowhere to be found. Democrats in our state writ large were nowhere to be found. They jumped on the train and they threw them all under the bus. And you know, they they certainly know it. They feel it acutely. They know they were abandoned. Um, and I ha- I don't know why I have to remind people of this, but. Our uh, law enforcement is nothing but ordinary Nevadans. A full composition of the electorate we have: their fathers, their mothers, you know, their their kids are in school, um, and then their kids are subjected to, to this nonsense that their parents are somehow terrible people um, and 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 have bad intentions, and it's it's wrong. Um, and, and fortunately, I feel like the the, the pendulum has swung greatly. Uh, against a lot of this rhetoric, and and you have politicians like Senator Masto and yep, even Biden with the recently wind. trying to do an about face on this stuff, but I don't I don't think yep. they're going to get away with
3: it. That's pretending like the things that they were saying two years ago that just doesn't fly anymore, so it doesn't exist anymore. Never mind, never mind. Pivot away. Let's look at this other thing. Let's talk about another issue, which is immigration. You talked about the just agonizing situation down in Texas. With the death toll, I believe, last I saw 53 illegal immigrants dying in that truck, abandoned there to cook to death by the drug cartels. Senator Cortez Masto, your opponent in Nevada, she is now trying to sort of talk a different game on immigration. But her voting record is what it is, right? She has been fully on board with the Democrats with this border crisis. Nothing, nothing That she has done has lifted a finger to try to alleviate the crisis in a constructive way. She's just sort of like a partisan robot who does exactly what the leadership always wants her to do. And we have a crisis that is already historically terrible. Then we have the Supreme Court decision today actually siding with the Biden administration. I happen to agree with it on the law. You might disagree. I think that if one. President can sign a piece of paper on an executive order. The next person should be able to come in and undo it with one signature as well. But the consequences of reversing the remain in Mexico policy, which was a successful policy under President Trump, Biden got rid of it because it had Trump's name on it. If you restore the previous status quo and uproot that Trump policy Every single official that I've spoken to at the border says the crisis that's already terrible is going to somehow get even worse, and I just don't think that Democrats like Catherine Cortez Masto have a single plan on any of this stuff. They've supported it, and now they're trying to pretend. I, I can see you know, some of her statements she puts out, trying to pretend that, oh, no, she's an independent voice. Uh, look at the votes, right? She's not.
4: Yeah, look, they built their whole big piece of their political coalition on this issue. Uh, We all know that they they ran against uh, border policies for the entire Trump era. And, um, you know, now chickens are coming home to roost. I mean, Biden's about face is devastating for our country. It's devastating for our state. I I did a press conference with a lot of our sheriffs in the state a couple months ago. And to hear them, you know, detail what it's like for a small law enforcement agency to have to combat these cartels coming through these drug corridors, and, you know, whether it's fentanyl and opioids and human trafficking, you know, they simply do not have the resources. And I probably don't need to tell your audience, but it's always important to remind people that, you know... People are dying because of this every single day. It is ravaging our communities. More people are dying from fentanyl overdoses than you know car accidents and gun accidents combined. And you know is the is the mainstream media emphasizing this? Or are they covering yesterday's uh, terrible scene round the clock for two straight weeks? Well, we all know they won't. Um, but if people truly understood that one plus one equals two on the border, that these deaths, these tragedies are directly attributable to Biden-MASTO policies. I mean, nobody would stand for it. And, you know, I think a lot of people aren't standing for it while well, you're seeing the movement in the Hispanic community. You're seeing yep. the movement in independence. You're seeing movement with suburban women because, you know, it's, it's, it's a national security issue. Uh, It is a, you know, obviously you've got the economic issues, and then you just have the basic law and order issues that people are offended by, that how could we be a nation? How could someone like myself who served in the Navy and served in Iraq, you put a uniform on because nationhood means something, people will fight and die for a country, and if we don't have a border that our own country is in charge of, then we don't have a country and and you know people intuitively get that without the media without all the spin uh, yep. that that of course democrats have and and people are really offended by it in my state
3: well and it seems to me that the bottom line in your state and a number of these other crucial senate races and house races around the country if you believe if you're a nevadan right now and you believe that things are going well and you want joe biden to have more help in Washington and more support to do what he wants and continue that agenda and keep this current status quo going and perhaps uh, you know doubling down on it, if that's what you think is necessary for the country, then vote to re-elect Catherine Cortez Masto. If not, if you don't think that Biden and Schumer and Pelosi need even more help in Washington and you, need, you want to see a check and balance in this system, then you've got to vote for Adam Laxalt for U.S. Senate out in Nevada. I think it really boils down to something that simple Adam, we have 30 seconds. How do you win this race? What do you need to do?
4: Look, we need support from across the country. The Democrats, uh, Soros has already spent a couple million. They've got over 50 million placed uh, to to prop her up and defeat me. And so we need grassroots supporters across the country. Um, And other than that, you know, I just need to stay on message and keep reminding voters exactly what you said. We have one opportunity to halt this leftist march, and that is taking back the U.S. Senate in November. And my race is the 51st seat and a key to us taking back the majority.
3: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Indisputable if you look at the map. And if you want to learn more about Adam Laxalt in that crucial race, Adam L a x a l a l t Laxalt, you can Google him. Adam, we appreciate your time today. Look forward to having you back as we chug toward November.
4: Thank you. AdamLaxalt.com. I appreciate it.
3: There you go. Adam Laxalt on The Guy Benson Show. He's the Republican nominee for U.S. Senate in that hyper-important race, maybe the biggest swing race in the country for Senate out there in the Silver State. Well, we're just getting started on The Guy Benson Show. We'll take a quick break. We will come right back on this Thursday edition. Stay with us.
2: Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show.
3: We're back on the Guy Benson Show. Busy day again at the Supreme Court, but the last day of the term. Justice Stephen Breyer has officially retired, and we wish him a happy and lengthy retirement. Justice Katanji Brown Jackson has been sworn in, so when the court resumes its work, she will be the ninth justice, one of the three liberals on the court. We don't exactly know what her jurisprudence is going to look like. We can guess. But we wish her well in addition to Justice Breyer, who's now on his way maybe to a beach somewhere. So that was one changing of the guard at the high court today. They put out two decisions. One was an EPA regulation decision where you'll see a lot of people all angry again. The conservatives want pollution. They're going to pollute the world and kill the planet. Just the hysteria is dialed up to 11 on everything always. And what the justices essentially said was, Lawmakers have to make law, not unelected bureaucrats and not judges. It's like lawmakers, people who actually are elected. They want other people to just attain outcomes for them through the administrative state, through judicial fiat. And what the Supreme Court is saying is you can do what you want, Clean Air Act, any of this stuff. You have to pass it. You have to make it law by being lawmakers. Do your job. Same thing on abortion, by the way. Returning issues to elected representatives to fashion policy. And amazingly, that is denounced by a lot of people as anti-democracy or an attack, assault against democracy. It is literally democracy by definition. And then there's the aforementioned immigration case that I referenced in the last segment where the court 5-4 sided with Biden in the administration I don't like what might happen because of that, but I think they got it right on the law. Now, Biden has to decide, are we really going to undo Remain in Mexico? Because that's going to make the border crisis so much worse. Is that what he wants? Because that would be the result. Your call, Mr. President. <laughs>
2: Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson.
3: We continue on The Guy Benson Show on this Thursday. Welcome back. GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast free every day. Well, the president is over in Europe. He's in Spain meeting with other world leaders and NATO leaders. And he was answering a few questions. And among other things, he got this query. Listen to the question. Then the answer from Biden in Cut 24.
0: New polling this week shows that 85% of the U.S. public thinks the country is going in the wrong direction. How do you explain this to those people who feel the country is going in the wrong direction, including some of the leaders you've been meeting with this week who think that when you put all of this together, it amounts to an America that is going backward?
5: They do not think that. You haven't found one person one world leader to say America is going backwards. America is better positioned to lead the world than we ever have been. We have the strongest economy in the world. Our inflation rates are lower than other nations in the world. The one thing that has been destabilizing is the outrageous behavior of the Supreme Court of the United States, an overruling not only Roe v. Wade, but essentially challenging the right to privacy. We've been a leader in the world in terms of personal rights privacy rights. And it is a mistake, in my view, for the Supreme Court to do what it did.
3: Wow. Now, I know this is the party of norms and institutions and attacking a fellow branch of the government while abroad is a violation of norms. You might say, oh, well, Trump would. Well, the whole reason Biden won was to not be Trump. But he decided to take the gloves off and Punch at the Supreme Court. You know, whatever. Fine. We'll continue down that path here in a moment. But think about how ludicrous that answer is. Eighty five percent of Americans think the country is headed in the wrong direction. And he says, well, you don't find a single person who thinks that America's not going backwards. And he starts bragging about the economy. The American people disapprove of this guy's handling of the economy by a massive margin. Most Americans believe that the economy is in bad shape. There are experts today now predicting that quarter two is going to result in another economic contraction of GDP, which would mean back to back contractions in back to back quarters, which is the definition of recession. And he's like beating his chest about the U.S. economy. He makes the claim again that our inflation rate is better than other countries in the world. I mean, maybe some, but not most, certainly not most G7 countries or Western advanced countries and economies. He's made that claim a few different times. And it's just not true. U.S. has one of the most elevated inflation rates in the advanced world and has not just for the last few months, but for well over a year now. It started going up and up and up right around the time, coincidentally, that Joe Biden became president and started passing trillions and even more spending on top of all the emergency bipartisan stuff during covid. So he's misdirecting on inflation with inaccurate and misleading talking points. He's striking something of a triumphant tone on the U.S. economy, which I think is extremely tone deaf based on where we are. And what people are feeling, hence the statistic he was being asked about, more than eight in 10 Americans feeling something that he's denying. But then he says the one thing that has been destabilizing in the eyes of the world is the Supreme Court and their outrageous behavior, taking an issue like abortion and letting it go back into the democratic process where the people and their representatives can actually make decisions on a difficult issue. And the test case, the case before the court that led to the Dobbs decision was on a 15 week abortion ban, which is more permissive. The Mississippi law at issue in Dobbs, that law is more permissive than most European laws with those NATO allies that are standing all around him in Spain. Mr. President, if you talk to those leaders, A lot of them apparently, like Macron from France, misunderstand what Roe versus Wade did and did not do and overturning it did and did not do. But if you could take Belgium's law or Italy's law or France's law on abortion and make that U.S. law, Mr. President, your party would vote against it. Because it would be too pro-life, too restrictive, too anti-women or whatever. We are way and have been way out of the mainstream on the issue of abortion. And fortunately, the Supreme Court has not issued a corrective here in terms of setting new policy, but at least giving the people a chance to set policy that's a little bit more humane and a little bit more in line with their values. So Biden's asked a question about deep discontent, about the direction of the country. And he talks up the economy and lashes out the, at the Supreme Court and says that they're like this internationally destabilizing force because they allowed lawmakers to make laws about an issue where we're a global outlier in the wrong direction. Kind of like inflation right now, actually, where we we are exceptional in a bad way. Like, if you want to talk, Mr. President, about how awful this is, again, like, let's put it up for a vote. Let's just take, like, Ireland's law or France's law and make that the national law in the United States. You for that or not? He's against it. Joe Biden of years past might actually be for it because he has really taken a disturbing journey on the issue of abortion by necessity. You can't get ahead in that party anymore unless you are an absolute fanatic on abortion. You can't just be pro choice anymore. You have to be pro abortion. The Democrats want nine month abortion on demand for any reason till the moment of birth, paid for by tax dollars. Discriminatory abortions, sex selective abortions, no opt out for conscious reasons for people who don't want to be literally involved in the commission of abortions, who are healthcare workers. Elizabeth Warren and Bob Menendez in the Senate have new legislation. ...to go after and attack legislatively and clamp down on, crack down on crisis uh, crisis pregnancy centers, pro-life centers, just for doing the apparently unforgivable work of helping women choose not to get abortions. Well, that can't stand. I mean, it is way out there. And it's such a far cry from what Joe Biden, for most of his career, even said and believed, supposedly... On this issue, I, I find it interesting, by the way, that you hear all the time from critics of the pro life movement that conservatives are just pro life while the baby's in the womb, and then as soon as they're born, they abandon the kid and they don't care anymore about the mother or the child because they're cold hearted, shrink the government, non compassionate people. That's sort of the attack that's launched all the time. I think that's unfair, I think that's demagogic. I think it ignores the realities of the pro-life movement. But these pro-life pregnancy centers actually are the embodiment of trying to support women and their children and their families after they choose life. And they're under attack literally physically right now from left-wing terrorists. The Speaker of the House won't say one word of condemnation. She won't even pretend to tepidly distance herself. From domestic terrorism on this front. It's just like disgusting. It's disgraceful. And you have U.S. senators saying. We see these resources. We see these people trying to help women. Not just have their babies. But then thrive being mothers. Let's shut them down. Because they are not pro-abortion. And therefore this shall not stand. That is the current state of the Democratic Party. And this President of ours, Mr. Moderate. Who was against abortion and certainly against public funding of abortion and late term abortion for most of his career. Now he's for all of it. And because the Supreme Court has decided that the Supreme that the U.S. Constitution does not guarantee abortion on demand for nine months. And that legislators can make those decisions. That's the one thing he decided to actually lash out about and get, you know, ill about over in Europe when he was asked about how upset the American people are with the results of his administration, basically. He's in charge. He and his party run the country right now. And 85% of the public says we don't like what's happening. And his answer is to attack the Supreme Court on foreign soil. Amazing. Then he also said this in Cut 20.
5: I believe we have to codify roe v wade in the law and the way to do that is to make sure the congress votes to do that and if the filibuster gets in the way it's like voting rights it should be we provide an exception for this the except the requiring exception to the filibuster for this action to deal with the supreme court decision
3: now, there's no such thing as an exception to the filibuster if the filibuster on legislation is gone for one thing it's gone for everything He's already called for this before. This is not some monumental thing. He did it on so-called voting rights. The Democrat takeover, federal takeover of elections. Remember when he called for that? Get rid of the filibuster, blow up the Senate to pass this outrageous left wing wish list. And the excuse, by the way, was voter suppression. In Georgia, he made the announcement in Georgia he was calling anyone who disagrees with him, comparing them to racists, segregationists, confederates. This was our healing moderate president. That was one carve out voting rights. Here's a new one. Nine month abortion. He says codify Roe versus Wade. That's not what this would do. As we've said, ad nauseum. The Democrats bill would not codify Roe versus Wade. It would vastly expand it in a way that 80 percent of the country is against. They're counting on the media not to tell you that. But we'll tell you that because it's true. Unlike them, we don't have to lie about this issue. Agree or disagree, I will tell you the truth and what I believe. They are just all the smoke and mirrors and fear-mongering and off-chasing squirrels in different directions to keep people afraid and outraged and misinformed. Calling it a codification effort of Roe versus Wade is just not accurate. So he's distorting what he actually believes. He's lying about the content of their legislation, and he's calling on a radical institution exploding move in order to get it done. And they don't even have the votes to do it, but he's going to say it anyway. By the way, here was Joe Biden back in 2019 as a candidate saying the opposite about the filibuster. Cut 21.
5: Ending the filibuster is a very dangerous thing to do because it's been used by progressives the whole our whole time to make sure that we did not get
3: rolled over. Oh, amazing. I mean, that's true. What he was saying at the time, from his perspective, was right. It would be dangerous to get rid of the filibuster, he said. Now, of course, the filibuster is what, Jim Crow? It's a relic of Jim Crow and super racist, except when Democrats still use it, which they have even when they're in charge. There's just a little asterisk. It's a racist tool only when one side uses it. But he said it would be dangerous to get rid of the filibuster. This is not ancient history. This isn't one of these clips of Joe Biden from 1874 in his maiden speech in the U.S. Senate floor. This was 2019, where he said it'd be dangerous because we have used it, progressives, to not get rolled over in the past. Absolutely true. But they can't see more than two inches in front of their face because they're all whipped up into a frenzy, just like they were on judges. Then they killed the filibuster for that. And what did they get? They got Gorsuch. They got Kavanaugh. They got Barrett. It blew up in their faces immediately. Now they're like, let's do more of that. What could go wrong, especially on the brink of probably losing the midterm elections? A filibuster free Senate would make it a lot easier to pass pro-life anti-abortion legislation nationally. Do they think about these things? No, they think about being in power forever because it's only illegitimate if the other side ever wins. The only legitimate power wielded in this country ever is by the left in their minds. So that's their permanent mindset. And even the supposed total fraud of a moderate like Joe, Bro- Joe Biden is going along with this stuff because that's what the base and his party demands. And if that means attacking the Supreme Court and calling for the effective ending of the Senate as we know it while overseas on foreign soil, I guess that's what Grandpa Joe is going to have to do. So he did. There's an election in November. The stakes are high. These people need to be defeated. I think they will be, but only if people turn out. It's not going to happen by accident or automatically. It's going to require work. But I tell you what, Joe Biden and this crew, every day they seem to be doing things almost designed to motivate people to go vote against them. We're a few months away. It's The Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back.
2: The Guy Benson Show. More next.
3: Welcome back to The Guy Benson Show. Jot down our phone number here at the show, it is toll free. 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. So last year around the holidays, we asked you a question about the Omicron wave and COVID and how the virus was affecting your holiday plans. Were you changing your plans because of COVID? We have a similar question. It's not about a public health issue. It's about the economic issues that are dominating the news. We talk every day here about inflation and gas prices and the cost of basically everything going up and up and up. We talk about pain and people tightening their belts and families struggling. My question for all of you, you can call us and give us your answer, tell us your story, 833-456-1300, is how is this inflation at a 40-year high? And record-smashing gas prices, how is that affecting you and your family when it comes to your plans this summer? I personally know people who have plans or who had plans or at least ambitions or even family traditions, things that they have done basically every year, forever, who are reconsidering whether or not they can. Can they afford to do these things? Can they go on that trip? Whether it's a road trip, I mean, airfare is through the roof. Also, air travel is a complete mess in this country right now. Is the status quo? I know Biden keeps saying his policies are working and America's economy is strong and we aren't that bad on inflation compared to other countries. Well, here in reality, people are experiencing a very different situation. So just tell us about your family. Your summer plans and what you have planned or in store, what you might not be able to do, have these high prices on everything changed your life? Whether it's a trip, whether it's a a tradition, whether it's whatever you were planning to spend money on. I'm just curious because I know for each person, each family, it's manifesting in different ways. I know in my household, in my family, there have been some decisions that were made. Because of this, I know Christine, our producer here, was telling us she's made a decision about July 4th that just totally changed her plans. What about you and your family? I want to make it personal. Give us a call. Tell us about how inflation gas prices are affecting you and impacting your family summer plans or your lifestyle. 833-456-1300. 833 833-456- 456 1-3-0-0. We will get to your calls, your anecdotes, your experiences when we come back in a brand new hour of the Guy Benson Show. 833-456-1300. Give us a call.
2: Live from the most powerful city in the world. Unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative. Guy Benson Show.
3: It's a brand-new hour on The Guy Benson Show, our middle hour out of three. Thank you very much for listening. Every weekday, GuyBensonShow.com. That's our website, GuyBensonShow.com. You can follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at Guy Benson Show. I'll be on Kennedy tonight, Fox Business Network, in the 7 o'clock hour. See you there. Looking forward to that. And I do want to give you quickly a Fox News alert with the Dow tumbling 252 points today, closing at 30,776. And that's actually a segue into a conversation that I want to have with you about the economy. Every day we come here and we talk about the statistics. We talk about inflation. We talk about $5 gas. We talk about consumer confidence, fears about recession that are growing among experts and some of the official projections now as well. We go through a lot of polling. People are unhappy. People are dissatisfied. People are nervous. That's a lot of data, and data matters a lot. But sometimes I think, especially here in Washington, D.C., people sometimes lose sight of the fact that data is reflected in the lives and the experiences of people. Real people with real lives and real families. It's not just about, oh gosh, the economy's looking rough right now and people are hurting, so that might hurt a political party in November. That's true. That's the political side of it, but there's the everyday reality side of it as well, where the pain isn't theoretical. It's not showing up in a poll somewhere, it's not showing up in an index that lawmakers look at it's look it's showing up in people's lives. And so that's why I want to take your phone calls. 833-456-1300. That's the phone number here, toll-free at the Guy Benson show. 833-456-1300. I just want to hear your story, how you and your family are being impacted by this, your lifestyle, your summer plans, are you making changes? We know At least in theory, on paper, many of you are. I want to hear some stories. I hope there are people listening here in Washington, maybe secretly over at the White House, certainly over on Capitol Hill. I think a reminder of how all of this is affecting us, the American people, is worthwhile. So let's have that conversation together. 833-456-1300. What's happening in your life? Let's start in Connecticut with Gail. Gail, you are up on The Guy Benson Show. Welcome. Hi.
6: Well, um, I am a performer with my dogs, believe it or not. And I'm actually uh, from North Carolina now, but I'm up here in Connecticut trying to make a living. And for 18 months, I had absolutely no work because I do fairs and festivals, halftime shows, perform with um, my 15 dogs. And now with the gas prices the way they are, I am basically Barely making any uh, profit. All of my, uh, you know, all of my work, I'm getting. Everything is um, the contracts were made about a year ago, and we did not take into account, of course, the high prices of gas and everything else that's on the road. So I am totally struggling to make ends meet. And um, mm. you know, basically, I'm working this whole summer at the fairs and festivals almost for free because everything Just goes to, into my. Just to break even. Break even. Yeah it's absolutely insane
3: can i ask you about your act and your dogs that's that's 15 dogs that's quite something
6: yeah it's um we're called the dynamo dogs and i actually quit my corporate job about 20 years ago and um not even 20 years ago and uh actually got picked up with the ringling brothers circus and i oh, never cool. went back to the pharmaceutical industry <laughs> and i just do the stuff with the dogs. I love it and most of my dogs are rescue dogs and I do all kinds of fun stuff with them and I've I've been even on The Bachelor with the dogs one time and uh but there's no way like sometimes I have to give up a job. I've been asked to go all the way out to like Colorado and I'm like I can't afford it or like I'd have to charge you so much just so I can get out there. So it's been it's been awful. I mean, granted, you know, for a year and a half I lost all contracts I had well and that's the, that's the other
3: the piece persona. of it, Gail, because you had you had the pandemic where there were no events, so everything is frozen, and then we get out of the pandemic and everything costs so much that you're just breaking even going trying to make a living and you could hear some cameos there from the dogs in the background Gail, it's a great call uh, I hope that things get better. I hope that your business picks up i I hope that you can turn. Something of a profit, because it sounds like this is an area of of passion for you. Um, and our thoughts are with you. Thank you for calling and sharing that story. And I hope the dogs are doing okay, because that's adorable. Now I want to look up YouTube videos of you guys. Thank you, Gail, calling from Connecticut. 833-456-1300. How is inflation, how are these prices affecting you and your family? 833-456-1300. Let's see. Richard is calling from Minnesota. Richard, welcome to the guy Benson show. Hi.
7: Hi guy. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm on social security and, uh, I used to be able to go visit my kids. Uh, I can no longer do that. Uh, groceries have gotten to the point where it's tough. Uh, I'm old enough to remember um, back when we had 20% inflation and interest and unemployment. And I can remember seniors at that time, one in three meals a week was dog food because they couldn't afford food. I'm on the lower end of the Social Security bracket. I've worked my entire life, never complained. I love this country. I'm a veteran. Uh, But this stuff right now, at this time in my life, it's unbelievable. Mm. I know we're going to get through it. We will come out the other side. But it's going to be hard for so many people. And, again, I'm speaking for my my age group. Seniors are getting killed. If you're on Social Security, they're, they're... I, I can't describe
2: it any other way. Yeah, because uh,
3: you're on that fixed income, right? You've the, the fixed income is coming in. It's not indexed to inflation. The cost of everything's going up. The buying power is down. And I can just hear it in your voice, Richard. You're someone who served this country, and thank you for that service. You worked your entire career. This is supposed to be sort of the easier time of your life where you can do some other things, and now you're struggling to go see your own kids. That is just really hard. And you're right, we're going to get through this at some point. I would like to see some people maybe in charge who would hasten that process as opposed to make it worse. But, uh, you know, we'll get through this to the other side. But in the process, it's painful. And Richard, I know it's probably hard for you to call here and and talk about something like this. This is not fun. This is not a a happy-go-lucky topic, but it's something that people are experiencing. And I really want to thank you for opening up about it and sharing that story with this audience. I think it's something that we all need to hear and be reminded of, and especially the people running the show in this town. They need to be reminded of it every single day. Richard, thank you. Good call. Tough call, but a good one. 833-456-1300. Your plans, your lifestyle, your livelihood. How is inflation, the gas price boom, how is this affecting you and your family? Eight three three four five six one three zero zero. Gina calling from Pennsylvania. Gina, I'm glad you called.
1: Hey, how you doing? Um, So prior to Biden, okay, there was an every weekend we would go out and enjoy ourselves. I'm in my fifties, okay. Um, Since Biden, since the inflation, since the gas prices. this has affected so many people, and I can't take it anymore. I mean, we no longer go out on the weekends, okay? It's not due to COVID. It literally is due to our finances. Um, Pre, Like restaurants? Like, you know, like when before- you say going out,
3: like going out socially, oh, restaurants, oh bars, that kind of stuff?
1: Just- to a restaurant just for just a drink and, and, and a meal. We don't do that any longer. Now I travel for my work. I I know I cannot travel because I can't afford it. I cannot afford to travel to go to work. Okay. And now I'm watching a grandchild because the parents now have to work extra just to maintain and make their bills. Okay. We used to be able to have all of the spending money. Literally there is none there is none. So we're living paycheck to paycheck. We're back to doing that. And we never thought in a million years that we would be this wor- this bad off at, at our ages. We thought we were good to go. Well, our 401ks, I'm like, they're down the tubes. Our stocks, I mean, we lost so much money. So we're sitting here just thinking that something has got to give. Dear Jesus, yep. something's got to give here because we can't take it. Like people, yeah, restaurants the- in our area, and I'm near Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, shutting down left and right because they can't get people to work. Yet I would love to go travel to work, but I can't afford the gas. And now I'm, again, babysitting a grandchild because the parents need to now go out and work more. Okay, so it's, it's I, I mean, I'm scared. I I don't even feel safe in my neighborhoods anymore. And I live in a really nice neighborhood, but I don't even feel safe going into town anymore. Things have gotten so, so bad. And I'm just so disgusted. There's no security. There's no safety. There's no net for anyone anymore. And this is why so many of us are just praying for this administration to move on so we can get somebody in there who will, take care of us again please take care of america please
3: gina in pennsylvania now you can just hear it in the voices here this isn't hypothetical this isn't some political game this is human beings in their lives and their families how is this affecting you and thank you gina for the call eight three three four five six thirteen hundred let's see los angeles sandra Thanks for listening. Thanks for calling, Sandra.
8: Hi. So, so uh, how's this affecting yes, you? We had, we had a trip planned to Hawaii, and I had to cancel it because it was $1,800 per person, and I couldn't afford to do it. So we switched it to Palm Springs, so we'll be driving
7: to Palm Springs.
3: Palm Springs is a pretty nice place, I hear. I haven't been there myself yet, but it's nice. But it's also not Hawaii. You've got something you know, in your mind, something that you're looking forward to? Is it just the increased airfare? You just couldn't do it anymore?
8: Yeah, the, it, was, it was the airfare. Had it not been for that, we would have been, been
3: in Hawaii. $1,800 a person from the West Coast. That's not even coming from the East Coast, heading over to Hawaii. So you had to make the change. Well, I hope you have a great time and a relaxing time in Palm Springs, but it's not what you were hoping for, not what you were excited for. And so many people have deferred. So many plans and excitement and fun through the pandemic. And now those plans are getting eaten up by inflation. And Sandra is one example out in L.A. Sandra, thank you for the call. 833-456-1300. Let's see. Big Sky Country, Montana. Holly, you're up on the Guy Benson Show. Hi, Holly.
9: Hi, Guy. I have a uh, dog and cat boarding business here. And I've been doing it for 22 years. And I have clients that say one and done normally would take three four vacations and they're saying you'll see me once this year and then we're done traveling so it's affecting them and it's affecting my business
3: so that obviously has a big impact on your revenue right if if the Huge. typical I things that you from, budget for
9: um, right and and I you know I totally shut down over covid cuz again that's my business people travel and so getting back rolling and now we're getting hit with this. And people are saying, I can't afford it. I can't afford to fly and I can't afford to drive. So I won't be yep. seeing you.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a familiar story here, Holly, and it has this ripple effect in ways that sometimes people don't really think about unless it's them. And it's, and it's you know, staring them right in the face. Holly, thank you for listening out there in Montana. Thank you for the phone call. The phones are just blowing up. I'm I'm interested to hear as many of your stories as we can get to 833-456-1300 how is inflation affecting you and your family this summer 833-456-1300 more of your calls next
2: fresh conservative talk kai benson show
3: It's the Guy Benson Show, 833-456-1300, taking your calls. How is inflation impacting you and your family? Ernesto is calling from Miami, Florida. Ernesto, welcome.
7: Hi. Hi, Guy. Uh, hey. Yeah, so uh, my my usually uh, my kids, uh, they live 400 miles away, so I used to be able to go see them every other weekend. Uh, and now I I can see them maybe once a month, you know, just the drive up there, it's it's more than doubled the gas. Uh and that's not to say uh the the summer schools, the cost of living, it's just insane. And when you hear and when I read um headlines on uh, newspapers that say that uh, we as Americans are willing to, to pay the price of gas until we defeat Putin. That's insane. That's crazy. I don't know who this guy is talking for. Uh, It's just it's just unbearable. It's unlivable.
3: Yeah. And that's the refrain over and over again from across the spectrum. It's not just, you know, some conservative political talking point. Again, it's reality. Ernesto in Miami. Thank you, Anthony, Minnesota, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Twin Cities area. Glad you're here, Anthony.
7: Hi, guys. So just real quick, you know, I just went to Walmart today and got three bags of household items, not even full, and it was
8: $130. Things are just outrageous, and just like everyone's family, my family's not doing anything in the summer because we can't afford it. Thankfully, like, we're a very close-knit family, so, like, we still, like, you know, go to each other's houses and spend time together. But like, normally we like to go to twins games. We like to travel. We're just not doing anything. And I work two jobs and it's just, it's crazy that two jobs, you barely get by nowadays.
3: Uh, It's just, it's tough. Just every call here. And thanks for that, Anthony. I think it's hard for people to sometimes articulate some of this stuff, but this is what Americans are going through right now. And a lot of the ruling class truly do not understand, truly. Thank you for sh- opening up, everyone, and sharing your stories. 833-456-1300. Rhonda is in Idaho. Rhonda, hello. Yes.
8: Hi. Um, I'm, we have, Things are so bad for us. My husband and I are both retired. We're on Social Security. We've worked our entire lives, and we paid off our house. However, because of a fixed income, we've had to borrow money against our home that we paid off in order to meet ends meet.
3: Mm. Wow. That, that is. It's sort of mind blowing. Listening to that and that's someone's life. Rhonda out in Idaho. God bless. Thank you for calling quickly. Rhett in Virginia. Rhett, I'll give you the last word.
7: going Hi. to practice relaxation in Bristol, Virginia. I'm pretty sure that the 4th of July will happen here, too. And please, sometime, tell me about Rosie and Roy and have a good <laughs> holiday.
3: <laughs> okay. that I love that, Rhett. Thank you for listening. So it sounds like he's staying home for the 4th. And yes, it's July 4th, no matter where you are in America. And we promise, Rhett, we will have more Rosie and Roy stories, a very dog-heavy Series of phone calls on this very serious topic. Not exactly happy-go-lucky, but it's a reality that people, I think, have to talk about because they're living through it. And the people in this town, D.C., they need to hear it. Not once, not in polls, over and over again every day. Martha McCallum, coming up.
2: Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson.
3: Welcome back to The Guy Benson Show. Thursday here. Thanks for joining us every weekday, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time, around the clock on demand for free at GuyBensonShow.com, that podcast. You can also follow us on social media at Guy Benson Show. With us now is Martha McCallum, executive editor and anchor of The Story, every weekday at 3 o'clock Eastern on Fox News Channel. She's also the co-anchor for Fox News Politics she is author of the book Unknown Valor. She's got a podcast, The Untold Story, with Martha McCallum at Foxnewspodcasts.com. And Martha, always great to have you here.
8: Great to be with you, Guy. How are you doing?
3: I'm doing well. Looking forward to seeing you. Some little R&R in the days ahead. Can't wait.
8: That too. Me too.
3: Absolutely. Let's talk about less relaxing things before we get to you know, <laughs> the vacation headspace. We're almost President there. Biden... Yeah, we're close. We're close. President Biden is in Spain. He has said a number of things in the last couple of days earlier. He repeated this canard that the U.S. is like uniquely well positioned on inflation, where we know that actually the U.S. inflation rate is higher than most of the developed world. And he keeps sort of saying this over and over again as if it's going to, A, change the way people – are feeling here at home, and B, he's not going to get fact-checked on it, which makes it almost look worse when you're not telling the truth about an issue affecting everyone. I just wonder what the thought process might be at the White House repeating a talking point that is discredited and, I'd say, unhelpful to them.
8: Honestly, Guy, I think, you know, when somebody told him that, first, and it was before it was fact-checked the first time, it just kind of got stuck in his head. And when he's up there talking, he just kind of rolls into that talking point as if it's true. Unfortunately, it's not true. And, you know, what I said to, I think it was Jared Bernstein who I spoke to from the White House economic team about that, and I said, you know, I don't really think it's a great talking point anyway. Americans Mm -hmm. don't really care if other countries are worse off. We kind of expect that. We expect to be in the best position. We expect to be performing at the highest level. What strikes me in the big picture is that America and Americans, we consider ourselves to be super efficient, really productive, cutting edge, you know, striving for excellence. Now, these ideas have all been sort of uh, tested recently, but but that's where we want to be as people. And so... When we fall behind, we're not comforted by the fact that other countries might be doing a tiny bit better, which, by the way, they're not. We want our government to be the best. We want to be able – we want to be exceptional, which is what we've always been. And I feel like people have gotten used to mediocrity in this country, and they're kind of like, oh, it's okay. Yeah, it'll be okay. It's not okay.
3: Well, telling us that we're actually relatively in good shape, to your point, is cold comfort and – Secondly, isn't true compared to the developed world. So it's, it's a double whammy. It's a one-two punch. It is a double whammy. And you were just – you were talking about this, and it kind of reminds me – I think I've given this example once before. When I was in college at Northwestern, every year they would raise our tuition, and they would send out an email where they would say, here's the new price. And it was always up, 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 which was not an email you ever wanted to get. It was not welcome news. And then they would put somewhere in that email a short paragraph – About a small handful of other universities in the country that are more expensive. Like, so we understand this may not be news that you're excited about. However, Northwestern's annual room and board plus tuition is still less expensive than, you know, George Washington University, Harvard, you know, a handful of others. And I always would look at that and say, I don't care. That doesn't make me feel any better at all about this. And I feel like that's kind of the mentality that they're trying to use here. Plus, it happens to be factually false, and that might explain why the new AP poll that's out has President Biden at 39 percent approval, 60 percent disapproval. He's at negative 21, you know, underwater on that poll within the independent demographic. He's at 25 approve, 73 disapprove, and those numbers are even worse on the economy. He's at 70 points underwater with independence on the economy if I were advising him or speaking on his behalf or trying to figure out what to do next, I would want to totally overhaul every single thing that we're saying because none of it appears to be working. Now, part of it's also just the, the, you know, the, the substance, right? When the results are what they are, you can only spin so much, but the spin is so tepid and feeble.
9: But it
8: doesn't matter because it's not meeting people in their own experience and what they are living every day. So I'm looking at these people, you know, this one guy in the airport saying, "Um, well, you know, it's so expensive to drive that I actually tried to find a flight that might be, you know, equivalent or maybe even cheaper, which is pretty hard to do because flights are super expensive right now. Um, You know, it's. people understand what's going on. That's why you have that number. 87% think the country's on the wrong track. 78% of Democrats think the country's on the wrong track. So at some point, you have to be, you know, Churchill, who I think had the best quality in leadership of, of, you know, probably one of the best in in history, in modern history. Um, He had a way of telling people the truth about what was going on. And then he would always dismount with why they had the stuff to persevere and why, because they were so wonderful and so extraordinary, they were going to be, they were going to excel and they were going to get out of it in a, in a really good way. And then saying, here's the way we're going to do it. We're going to do it by hanging together and being tough. We're going to make sacrifices. We're going to change these five things. And here's how we're going to find our way out of this situation. And you'll be able to do it because you're extraordinary, because you're strong, because you're people who love your country. Now, None of those messages are happening. Instead, it's kind of like this, you know, hey, look over here. Um, look, you know, there's Italy and Spain have worse inflation than we do um, <laughs> mm-hmm. when people are just saying, I don't, I don't, this is not my reality. I know what it costs to fill up my tank. I know why I can't take a vacation right now. And you're talking past me and not to me.
3: And now the question is, is there the next shoe to drop on the economy? And I saw today that the Atlanta Fed is now projecting negative growth in quarter two. We already had quarter one with a surprise contraction, 1.6 percent economic shrinkage in the United States. And then with quarter two underway, if they're right, if the Atlanta Fed is right, and I saw IHS market also now predicting the same thing, if we see another contraction in quarter two, at least technically speaking, that is a recession. And at some point, this whole discussion, Martha, about does the recession come this year, does it come next year, becomes academic or it becomes moot and irrelevant because it's here. I'm not saying that we know that for a fact, but it looks like a lot of the the predictions and the projections from the experts are getting more and more sour and dire looking. And that opens up a whole new set of challenges for American consumers and families.
8: Well, exactly. And again, I would say, and, and I think you're right, it looks like we may get two quarters of negative growth, which would technically put us in a recession. But I was on with Barney the other day, and one of his uh, financial experts was saying, you know, it kind of feels like we're already there. And I think that most people do feel like we're already there. So again, it's, it's the actual experience that people are having across the country, what they're able to do financially, how much they see their wages not keeping pace with inflation, eroding their ability to to buy and to spend and to do things that they want to do. So so all of that's already out there. And now you have Jerome Powell uh, late yesterday, I guess, saying, you know, there's no guarantee that we can avoid a hard landing. So here's the other thing. The Fed, you know, and, and the president doesn't talk about this either. The, the, the Fed has, has failed, in my view. Their job is to be ahead of inflation with interest rate hikes that are incremental, perfectly timed, and able to keep inflation at bay. That that is the most important, like, you know, the president's most important job is national security. The Fed's most important job is to keep inflation in check. And they have failed. So I don't understand why we're not talking about, you know, perhaps changing the leadership at the Fed. They haven't they have not been able to pull this off. Obviously we went through a very difficult time with the pandemic, an unprecedented shutdown of the economy. And Powell's also saying, you know, well maybe the economy looks different now forever based on the pandemic. On. So um, you know, that's that's a scary thought to hear. But what I want to hear are solutions. I want to hear, here's how we find our way out of it. Here's how we incentivize people to get back to work. Here's how we incentivize companies to move back to New York by perhaps, you know, lowering their taxes or giving them a higher depreciation on equipment purchases, all these kinds of things that would help to actually spur
3: growth. But that would require policy changes and a shift in direction and ideology, from this administration and it doesn't look like they're capable of that frankly they don't want to do that so you're right the spin isn't going to really change anything because the reality the facts on the ground are what they are martha mccallum is our guest host of the story on fox news channel i want to shift gears a little bit and get to another set of issues with martha right after a quick break don't go anywhere
2: guy benson will be right back
3: back here on The Guy Benson Show. Thank you very much for tuning in. With us very kindly for a second segment is our friend and colleague Martha McCallum. And Martha, I want to talk about the meaning of democracy. We hear a lot from Democrats and people on the left that democracy is under assault. They are the guardians of democracy. And it seems to me that often whenever they get an outcome that they don't like, they say, well, that's proof that democracy is under attack. Now, they might have a point on some things that have happened. January 6th was a terrible thing. I think they sort of blow it and lose credibility when they say, for example, Supreme Court decisions that are explicitly restoring issues to the democratic process and elected representatives, whether that's on, you know, environmental regulations with the EPA decision today or the Dobbs decision on abortion, it just seems like they are sort of reinventing the meaning of the word democracy to essentially reflect whatever they want to happen. And if they don't get their way, then it's anti-democracy, even when it is by definition, at least the traditional definition, pro-democracy. And I think that that's actually kind of a dangerous thing to muddy the waters that significantly and get into this Orwellian newspeak where up is down and literal restoration of democratic processes is – roundly and angrily denounced as anti-democracy, it just doesn't really seem sustainable. That's one of the things that is worrying me the most in the last week or two.
8: I I understand that. Um, when I look at what's going on, in a way, I see the wisdom of the founding fathers and of the three branches of government. We have Democrats, leadership, uh, majorities in the House and the Senate and the White House, right? You have judges who were put in place, three, three new judges by the prior administration who made some extraordinarily significant decisions over the past couple of weeks, right? And in those decisions, they really upheld their originalist leanings in terms of being very lean in their approach to the Constitution. And we see that in the Roe decision for sure. Uh, We see it in the Second Amendment decision in New York on concealed carry. We see it in the EPA where they're saying, no, you, you actually can't take on legislative branch duties as an agency of the federal government. So you have to pare that back. That has to be done by legislation. Um, So all of these things are actually, I think, functioning the way that that they should. Now, if Democrats are frustrated that they haven't been able to accomplish their goals, having won these elections, these majorities, and I would also point out that 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 election was a very big rebuke to the prior president, um, and Democrats won handily. So the fact that they have so far not been able to sustain that leadership in a way that is making people apparently based on the polls want to have more of that leadership tells me that the power is where it should be and that's in the hands of the people so um, i think that democracy can be messy and painful and i think that's what a lot of people are experiencing now and they're lashing out about it but when i look at it really look at it i see it functioning and i get that encourages me
3: i think that's a good point and i don't disagree with what you're saying i guess my concern is the impulse broadly on the left not from everyone but a lot of people on the left seem to be reacting to these decisions saying not hey let's have congress go do something or let's go win elections at the state level and pass laws at the state level that's how this thing is designed they say let's blow up the filibuster let's change the nature of the senate let's pack the supreme court Let, you know they want to go to the institutions themselves There are only a few votes shy, it seems, from actually doing some of those things, which would be deeply destabilizing. I hope they don't get closer to it. I hope that we are brought back from the brink. Perhaps voters will have to do that uh, in November. We'll see. Last question, Martha, and it's on the Dobbs decision and and some of these abortion-related issues. I know that these are difficult, controversial questions. You were anchoring Fox News Sunday this past weekend, and there were some sparks flying on some of these issues. I don't know where you stand on the issue. That's, that's not your role on the news side here at Fox. What does disturb me, putting off to the side pro-life, pro-choice, whatever it might be, there has been a string of violent attacks against pro-life pregnancy centers trying to give women resources to have babies and not end their pregnancies, and those organizations are getting attacked and threatened, and the Speaker of the House explicitly refused to denounce political violence on that front. And there are a few senators now introducing legislation to, in a formal way, go after pro-life organizations and try to rein them in at the same moment that they're under literal terrorist attack. And it it just feels like, again, we're, we're getting to a place that goes beyond disagreement. And if we're going to be worried about political violence on one side, which we should be, when it happens on the other side, there shouldn't be a complete different reaction to it or a blackout of it. In our media, because this is happening right now, and it seems like in many places it's just a non-story or being treated as such.
6: I, I
8: take it very seriously. I do feel, as a nation, I I do worry. Uh, you know, although I have faith in the institutions and in the construction of our government, I do worry that we are dangerously close to some of these ideas which are pushed on the far extremes of both parties, and also. In certain media outlets and at the highest. Uh, at the highest levels of government, in some cases, that do not calm things down, but that incite them. And I think that that is a very dangerous, no matter what side it's on. And we've seen a lot of that through the course of some of these hearings over the past couple of weeks is is extraordinarily dangerous. And and we count on the people in leadership. We count on President Biden at this point to speak clearly on this issue. And Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, to speak clearly on this issue, to tell people that violence is never the answer to getting what you. Want. I mean, think about the civil rights movement. Think about movements for peace across, around the world. These people should be able to speak forcefully and eloquently on this subject. And I would also mention that Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi both love to speak about their Catholicism.
7: Mm-hmm. It
8: would be a wise thing in this moment for them to say, you know what? I am for the protection of those young women who want to go to that pregnancy center. They cannot feel intimidated when they walk in that door. If you are truly pro-choice, you must protect their right to, to have their baby and to seek help in a place where they can be supported in that wish. And I would just like to hear that, you know, they, they love to say they're Catholic, except when it really gets tough. And I think that this is a moment and a way for them to say— this is who I am. This is what I believe. I respect your right to believe what you believe, and I would like to, up, you know, see up the codification of Roe v. Wade in, in, in legis- through legislation. But let's protect these individuals who are making this choice, because if you truly believe in choice, you have to believe in their choice as well.
3: Martha McCallum, executive editor and anchor of the story every weekday, three o'clock Eastern Time on Fox News Channel. Martha, some heavy topics here today. Thank you for wading through them with us. And I look forward to our next conversation, which will be, I think, a little bit lighter, I hope.
8: Exactly. Hopefully over a Fourth (laughs) of July beer and a hot dog.
3: Sounds fantastic. Great to talk to you, Martha. It is Martha McCallum on The Guy Benson Show. We will be right back.
2: It's five o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour. Sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit the longdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson.
3: It is the happy hour here on the Guy Benson Show, our final hour of this Thursday edition of the program between 5 and 6 p.m. Eastern. The show is 3 to 6 Eastern. So that last hour, the happy hour, sponsored by The Finished Long Drink, which is delicious and refreshing. TheLongDrink.com is their website. They have expanded rapidly across the country. You can see where they are sold near you at TheLongDrink.com. You can also order online. Always drink responsibly. 21 plus only, please. Our website here at the show, GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast is free every day, plus lots of other content right there at the website. GuyBensonShow.com, at Guy At Twitter and Instagram. I'll be on with Kennedy tonight just after 7 p.m. Eastern. That's on Fox Business Network looking forward to catching up with Kennedy. In fact, I don't know if my topic is going to be this, but I saw a report, I think from Sports Illustrated today, that UCLA, her alma mater, and USC, their big rival, are in negotiations to join the Big Ten Conference in college football, which is Northwestern's conference, my conference. Those are left-coast teams. That's the Pac-12. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about all this. Maybe Kennedy and I will talk about that tonight on her show, although my guess is we're probably going to be talking about politics. We'll see. Tune in. Fox Business Network for Kennedy this evening. Well, it is the final happy hour for me before vacation. We're going to have a great guest host tomorrow, great special programming on the 4th, Monday, and then guest host for the rest of that week so this is kind of like my friday heading into vacation and how better to spend a good chunk of this happy hour than with our friend janice dean senior meteorologist at fox news new york times best-selling author including most recently make your own sunshine and janice as always a pleasure to have you here
9: i am honored that i am your last official guest before you go on vacation
3: That is correct, ma'am. I wouldn't have it any other way. We will be having a conversation with our team in the home stretch a little bit later on, so I think technically the last guest might be Christine. But in terms of a truly booked guest who doesn't work on the show, it's you. So, number one, this is a great honor. Number two, I hope you live up to the moment, honestly, because uh, this is a very important segment or two for the show as we get ready for the holiday weekend. Speaking of the holiday weekend— I've seen reports that because of droughts in various parts of the country, authorities have been asking people not to shoot off fireworks. And look, I get it. I understand some of the risk. I also know that generally when government officials tell Americans don't shoot fireworks on the 4th of July, the compliance rate seems to be very low. Americans don't really care for that type of guidance around Independence Day. As a weather person, what's your take on this?
9: you know, I have to sort of err on the side of caution because I'm the one that that warns people of incoming weather like tornadoes and hurricanes. And I know that there is really dry conditions across the central U.S. So, you know, you don't want to start any kind of wildfire in areas where we have extreme to exceptional drought. So I would listen to your authorities and your local folks and not shoot off fireworks, Um, you know, There are going to be a lot of places that are going to see some showers and thunderstorms in the forecast, like the upper Midwest, parts of the Southwest. So that might put a damper on some of those plans.
3: Well, it's a very responsible thing for you to say, (laughs) even though it may not be the most fun answer that I've ever heard. Now, Janice, I, I also, as we're approaching July 4th, I know that you're from Canada. I don't really know what your status is. Are you a dual citizen? What's the background here?
9: I am a dual citizen. I was born in Canada, uh, but my father was American. And uh, I believe in the 80s, when the free trade agreement passed, um, there was an article in the Globe and Mail that my mom saw that said, if you were an American citizen and moved to Canada... Uh, you were able to, uh, you know, bring your kids in to the U.S. embassy and register them to become an American citizen. So he did that. He had to show all sorts of paperwork that he went to school in the U.S. He served in the uh, U.S. Air Force. Uh, went to high school and college there. And I was able to be, you know, come to this wonderful country. And I am truly an example of the American dream because I came here in my 20s. I worked in Houston for a number of years and moved back to Canada for a short period of time. And now I've been this is my 20th year in New York. So I feel really fortunate uh, to be here and and truly living out my American dream.
3: So tell us about dual citizenship Canadian American vibes on July 4th for you.
9: It's a true true feeling of living out a dream. As I mentioned, I know that sounds sort of yeah, like I don't know, like that's what everyone says that comes to America is that you're living out this dream, but it is. It's true. I I wanted to be in broadcasting. I felt in Canada there was a little bit of a cap on my career. I you know, I worked at a few places where they were like, I asked them well I'd like to learn how to do the news and they were like "Mm, no you know you're more suited towards like a community events reporter you know stay stay in your lane kind of thing whereas when I came to the U.S. this is this is the truth I when I came to Fox it was sort of like well what do you want to do where do you want to go what are your aspirations and that's how I really feel here it's there's no limit to what you can do and what you your experience can be, whereas, listen, I can't speak for every Canadian, but certainly in my field, I felt that I was kind of put in a corner, whereas when I came here, it was like the sky is the limit. And even though I am a meteorologist, I've done all sorts of other things. I've written a oh, yes. New York Times best-selling book. I get to go to the Kentucky Derby. I get to go to see the Westminster Dog Show. I am not just the weather person on Fox. I am part of that family, and it truly is an environment where you can do whatever you want to do. You know, So that's the way I feel right now, is that this country has given me such great opportunity. I've passed that on to my boys. I know we're in a really tough time in this country, but I believe in the best of America, and I believe that we will overcome all of the difficulties we're going through.
3: I think that that's a characteristically sunny outlook from you, and I hope that a lot of people share that view, or if they don't at the moment, that they'll come back around to it, because I think it's really important and you mentioned some of the opportunities that you have in this country and specifically at Fox. You were checking off some of the items. There's another one upcoming that I want to talk about here in a second. But before we get there, what is your tradition? How do you typically spend July 4th? What do you guys do?
9: You know, we go to the beach. We, Our family, uh, Sean's sister, has a, a little place, um, you know, what do they call them, a cabana? <laughs> That's something that we don't have in Canada. Ooh. Uh, so she has had a cabana for many years. Sean grew up on Atlantic beach on long Island. He learned how to surf there. Uh, You know, we, of course, you know my family's story about losing my in-laws. Well, they grew up on Atlantic Beach. That's where my, my husband had his summers every year. He was a lifeguard there. So we take our family there. That's where we enjoy the 4th of July. Uh, my sister-in-law has us to her cabana. We watch the fireworks. We have a barbecue. So it really is this time-honored tradition that, that we typically go to Long Island. This year is a little different, and I know what we're going to talk about next.
3: Correct. And everything that you just described is idyllic. This year, there's a bit of a curveball. You are going to be an official, what, judge of some sort at a very famous, iconic competition that I honestly can't really bring myself to watch because it's gross to me just watching how this happens. But I know people have this. Really interesting – obsession is the wrong word, but there's an allure. There's an allure to the hot dog eating contest on July 4th, and this year you're not merely a spectator. You're involved in this in some way. How did this come to be? What are you doing?
9: So it is the Nathan's famous hot dog eating competition that has been happening (laughs) for over 100 years now. Oh, yeah. So we've talked – We've talked about the Westminster dogs. Now we're talking about hot dogs. And when I told my husband, Brooklyn born, okay, Brooklyn born, raised, when I got the email asking if I would be an official judge at this coveted event, Sean actually <laughs> said this might be the greatest honor that has ever been bestowed
3: on you. So, Is this Coney uh, Island? Is that right?
9: Yes. Coney Uh Island. uh, I mean, tens of thousands of people come out to this. It didn't really get popular until the 90s when there was a hot dog eating champion Kobayashi. Oh, Uh, yeah. And and then it exploded. It became like a TV event. People and it's still extremely popular with Joey Chestnut, who just last year, by the way, broke the world record for the most hot dogs ever eaten in a span of 10 minutes. He downed 76 hot dogs. So that would be. 7.6 7.6 hot dogs per minute. No. Uh, and he's going to be there, reigning champion. Also, the reigning female champion, Nikki Sudo. Uh, she's also the number one ranked female eater. 48 hot dogs she's uh, in uh, taken in. <laughs> and that was, I think, two years ago. Last year, she was pregnant, so she couldn't compete.
3: Uh, that's for the best, probably, for that <laughs> child. It's like, you know what? Let's take a year off and not do this, whatever this is, to our bodies. Uh, but... <laughs> It is going to be uh, quite a scene, I would imagine. The dipping the whole thing in the water and just throwing it down, I I can't. It is very unappetizing (laughs) to me, personally. And I do like a good hot dog, especially on July 4th. I am curious, Janice, because this can be a very polarizing question, as you know. If you're going to have a hot dog, how do you want it cooked, and what condiments do you put on it?
9: These These are excellent questions. I... I like it on the grill. I'm a grilling gal. Uh, I like it kind of greasy, not going to lie. I like the butter on the grill. I like to taste the butter on the wiener. And then it's got to be a, like a fluffy, fresh bun. It can't be just some stale thing that you got at the grocery store a little bit, you know, late. What about today. a
3: grilled, a lightly grilled or toasted bun?
9: That's not too bad, too, but I like the fresh. I like I like to know that this is like okay. a real soft, bun that fresh. you know that is exactly soft. Uh, I like, I mean, ketchup's my number one, okay? I I don't love mustard, but I do like a good relish.
3: Uh, So ketchup and relish, no mustard. I like all three of the big three. I think I would pick mustard over ketchup personally. Okay, Relish is third on the list, even though I like it. What about other accoutrements, such as kraut, sauerkraut, or not chili. There's lots of different things people there's a Chicago style dog where they have all sorts of weird stuff that they throw on there. Is that too much for you? You like to keep it simple or do you keep sort of adding and heaping more things on if they're available?
9: It doesn't I mean, listen, I don't like sauerkraut. That's the one thing I kind of I pass on, mm. but I do like the chili. I I mean, if they're cooked, if they're grilled onions, I'm okay with that. Uh and I like cheese, you know? I like topping on the cheese. So, no, I the cheese say dog. Just the basic hot dog is great, but I'm also open to other flavors.
3: Okay, I think that these are acceptable answers. I might quibble here or there, but these are, to me, just as, as the, the judge here, you're the judge of the contest on the 4th, I'm the final judge. I'm the Supreme Court here on this show, and I will allow these <laughs> answers. I think that they are acceptable. Now, Janice, we're up on a break. I've got to take it, but we need to talk not about hot dogs, but real dogs. That's next.
2: Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show.
3: Back on the happy hour with Janice Dean on the Guy Benson Show, just talking about the hot dog contest upcoming. And now I want to talk about another variety of dog. Not the hot variety, but the canine variety. You mentioned the Westminster Dog Show. Last time you were on this show you were getting ready for that. You were getting ready to go and cover the dog show for Fox and Friends. And you mentioned offhandedly something like, I'm paraphrasing, but it's pretty close, we all love our dogs. And I asked you, oh, what kind of dog do you have? And you sort of conceded that you guys don't have a dog, but you were thinking about getting one. And it was something that you guys were really looking at more seriously. I asked a few more probing questions about the type of breed that you might be interested in. And it sounded an awful lot like a pooch that I know quite well, my dog Roy, who's a Bedlington Terrier. And I just said, Oh, you might like this breed. And you asked me on the air to please send you a photograph or two of Roy during the commercial break when we were done. And of course, you know, every dog owner has a thousand pictures on their phone ready to go. So as soon as we went to break, I think I sent you five pictures of Roy. You responded. Um, quite positively, I would say. And I just would like to get an update because you and I've been texting offline a little bit. You showed some of these photos to your boys. It seems like you guys are pretty fond of Roy and the breed as it turns out.
9: You described this perfectly. I loved all of your pictures and fell in love, frankly, with Roy uh, over the last week or so. And through that love of Roy, I have contacted people who know Bedlington Terriers very well. Uh, You have put me in contact with some very good people. And let me just say this. We are on the road uh, to adding a, a, a dog to our family. And it is looking like you might become the dog father.
3: I mean, <laughs> I don't want to get ahead of things here. And if, in fact, this becomes a reality in the hopefully near future, I hope we get the exclusive here on the show you will. about that. You but will. I, <laughs> Excellent. But if that happens, I do think that at some point your hypothetical future dog, if it's a Bedlington, and Roy – need to not only have a play date together and be friends, they should probably have a play date on Fox and Friends.
9: <gasps> that would be a great idea, Guy. I, I Right? You're talking see... about the Fox
3: family. This is like Fox family expanding on the dog level even.
9: I see an actual reality TV program,
3: to be honest with you. <laughs> I mean, I'm not opposed. <laughs> you know, I, I'd be willing to work with that. What I was concerned about was you were, and I'm, I'm saying this with great love, You were so enamored of Roy and the photos, I actually started getting a little bit nervous about, you know, you showing up at the house and maybe taking him. It's like, well, where'd Roy go? (laughs) Witnesses say a a blonde woman came and took him and she seemed very nice and was smiling constantly. I'd be like, Janice. So it seems like you have you may have um, sort of taken all of these feelings and emotions and channeled them in a very productive way towards maybe finding a Bedlington for you and your family, which would be so freaking exciting to me. They are so unbelievably cute and wonderful dogs. And it sounds like your kids are very much on board.
9: I mean, it is, it will be a dream come true. We're talking a lot about dreams coming true. Uh, And it looks like it probably will happen, but you know, I want to make sure that everything is in place, but I, I feel, I feel like you have come into my life for more than just one reason to be my friend, but, you know, to bring this joy and love uh, into our home uh, with your experience with your beautiful Roy. So, I, you know, I'm, all I'm going to say is that, but I will say that when it happens, you will get the exclusive and uh, there will be many play dates to come.
3: I think that's great. I'm also a great dog father, as you put it. My rates are very reasonable, Janice, as you will discover soon. And so we will have all those negotiations uh, behind the scenes leading up to the big moment. But I I honestly cannot be more excited for you guys. I'm not getting ahead of the actual news here. We're going to wait to see what actually happens. But fingers and toes crossed, and it would be just so exciting. And I'm rooting so much for you guys. And in the meantime – Have a good, wild, weird, memorable time as a judge at the hot dog eating contest this weekend. I will. I'll send you all the pictures. (laughs) Please do. Well, happy Fourth of July, Janice. It's always great to talk to you. And let's do it again very soon. And maybe next time we'll be ready to give a Fox News puppy alert. We'll see.
9: Absolutely. Love you, buddy. Thank you so much. Happy Fourth of July.
3: You bet. You too. Janice Dean on The Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back.
2: You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson.
3: It is the happy hour here on the Guy Benson Show on Friday Eve. Thanks for tuning in. At the top of the show today in our first hour, we welcome for the first time to the Guy Benson Show, Adam Laxall, who is the Republican nominee for the U.S. Senate in Nevada, one of the most important races in the country this cycle. He's the former attorney general in that state. He has a real chance of unseating an incumbent Democrat. We talked about that race and the state of the country. Listen to part of that interview. If Senator Cortez Masto had gotten her way and followed the leadership, it just seems like what she represents in D.C. is a lockstep guaranteed vote for whatever the Democrat Party leadership demands. And I don't know if that's really going to play very well this year, this cycle, given the results that we're all living through
4: well you know and and just exactly as as voters hopefully are are, are on to all these democrat politicians now uh she spends every single day trying to pretend she's a moderate and trying to you know right. present some image of of not being that candidate and usually i get to start and stop with one proof point which is exactly what you just said to all of your listeners which is no one can name a time she stood with joe manchin when our country needed her, needed her to, and when our state needed her to, because she hasn't, and all the big key issues, she was not there. She's in the same swing state environment as Kirsten Cinema, and she could have taken the same steps that she has over the last few years, but our senator has not.
3: No, she uh, votes like Elizabeth Warren.
4: Yeah, exactly. Her her, she, her, her voting record is ninety five percent with Bernie Sanders and ninety seven percent with Biden. And, and so, again, then she'll turn and lie to the voters with the help of, of media, of course. And she's handing out, you know, $12,000 grants to law enforcement and trying to fool people that she's not anti-law enforcement. When in 2020, you know, she, she said that cops are systemically racist and the system needs to be overhauled. She voted for the George Floyd Policing Act. Uh, and, you know, these same Democrats in our state, which, you know, we have great law enforcement in Nevada. And, you know, I was honored to be the, the top law enforcement officer and work with them every single day. Well, these Democrats will stand with law enforcement at the at the ribbon cuttings and, you know, take all the upside of standing with law enforcement when, when it's election time. Um, but when they needed them to stand up for them in 2020 and say, uh, look, are all law enforcement agencies in America perfect? No. Of course, there's some that – that, that, that need change, but our law enforcement ha- did not have that stuff going on, and she was nowhere to be found. Democrats in our state, writ large, were nowhere to be found. They jumped on the train, and they threw them all under the bus. And you know, they they certainly know it. They feel it acutely. They know they were abandoned. Um, and I ha- I don't know why I have to remind people of this, but our law enforcement is nothing but ordinary Nevadans. A full composition of the electorate we have: their fathers, their mothers, you know, their their kids are in school, um, and then their kids are subjected to, to this nonsense that their parents are somehow terrible people um, and 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 have bad intentions, and it's it's wrong. Um, and, and fortunately, I feel like the the, the pendulum has swung greatly uh, against a lot of this rhetoric, and and you have politicians like Senator Masto and. Yeah, just blowing with the recently wind. trying to do an about-face on this stuff. But I don't, I don't think yep. they're going to get away with it.
3: That's pretending like the things that they were saying two years ago that just doesn't fly anymore, so it doesn't exist anymore. Never mind, never mind. Pivot away. Let's look at this other thing. Let's talk about another issue, which is immigration. You talked about the just agonizing situation down in Texas with the death toll, I believe. Last I saw 53 illegal immigrants dying in that truck. Abandoned there to cook to death by the drug cartels. Senator Cortez Masto, your opponent in Nevada, she is now trying to sort of talk a different game on immigration, but her voting record is what it is, right? She has been fully on board with the Democrats with this border crisis. Nothing, nothing. That She has done has lifted a finger to try to alleviate the crisis in a constructive way. She's just sort of like a partisan robot who does exactly what the leadership always wants her to do. And we have a crisis that is already historically terrible. Then we have the Supreme Court decision today actually siding with the Biden administration. I happen to agree with it on the law. You might disagree. I think that if one. President can sign a piece of paper on an executive order. The next person should be able to come in and undo it with one signature as well. But the consequences of reversing the remain in Mexico policy, which was a successful policy under President Trump, Biden got rid of it because it had Trump's name on it. If you restore the previous status quo and uproot that Trump policy, every single official that I've spoken to at the border says the crisis that's already terrible is going to somehow get even worse. My full discussion with Adam Laxall, GOP nominee for Senate in Nevada, available at GuyBensonShow.com. Also, that free podcast, On Demand to You, absolutely no charge every single day, including bonus Benson on the weekends. When we come back, as I mentioned earlier, we are this close to vacation, at least for yours truly. I'm going up to an area where there might be some predators in the water. Christine is very worried about this. We will sort through all of that in a moment
2: for the full interview and more go to guybensonshow.com
3: home stretch on the guy benson show thank you for listening guybensonshow.com <laughs> guybensonshow.com is our website podcast is always free on demand I'll be on Kennedy Tonight, Fox Business Network, in the 7 p.m. hour, right near the top, so hope to see you there. I'm heading on vacation starting tomorrow, and if you're listening on the broadcast, you heard the bumper music that I was just reacting to. It's the Jaws theme song. Because I'm going up to Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and yes, around this time every year for years, the great white sharks roll in to that neck of the woods, and in fact, they're often spotted right at or off of the beach that we go to. That is a hop, skip, and a jump from our house, our family's house up there. And so has that affected my swimming habits? Yes. Like you get to the beach and you're walking up that sort of that pathway with great anticipation to reach the top of kind of the dune and then the sea, the ocean opens up before you. And it just instantly puts me in a happier, more relaxed mindset. But one of the issues is, recently, when you are on that path, they often have a flag that's flapping in the breeze as you walk up that has a great white shark on the flag, which is the warning sign. Like, be careful. Swim at your own risk. They have lifeguards, and they try to tag most of the sharks so they can sort of track them. But it's not foolproof. And so I do spend a lot less time in the water. And if I want to be quickly refreshed, because it's not exactly warm up there. The sun's hot. The beach is warm. The water is cold. So you can just quickly do a dunk, even go out to knee depth, then maybe dunk under real quick and scamper back up to the beach and hang out and read a book or whatever. That's typically my approach to these things. And if there might be giant man-eating predators lurking deeper in the water. I'm just less excited about spending a bunch of time perhaps becoming a snack for them. I know that these attacks are very rare, very rare. But, yeah, sharks sharks are scary to me. They always have been. In fact, I had a recurring dream for years about sharks, being stuck in a swimming pool with a shark. Remember when we had our dream interpreter on the show? When was that, last year? It was during the pandemic. Maybe we need to get her back, and we can talk through that dream. But regardless, producer Christine saw the story, and it's an annual story about the Great Whites and Cape Cod and the beaches there. And she decided during our meeting earlier that she was going to very generously offer to come up to Cape Cod with me to protect me from the sharks. And I don't really know how that would work. I don't think that Christine – would be the best bodyguard against really any sort of threat due to her panicky nature. Plus, there's a show to produce. And, you know, Christine, you've got a vacation upcoming later in the summer. So, very kind offer. I'm going to have to uh, graciously and gratefully pass on it. But don't worry, I won't spend a huge amount of time in the water. And I will try to avoid any situation where I am no longer fully intact coming back to. Resume the program after the, uh, the respite coming up here.
10: Are you sure about that? In one week, there have been 11 shark sightings. You need me up there. I, there's an app I can download called Sharktivity. And I'm thinking, I just ask one of the lifeguards. Well, I find out which beach you're going to, and then I just politely ask the lifeguard to get off the chair. I climb up there, get some binoculars, have my app, and I just let you know when I see a shark.
3: What's the name of this app? Sharktivity. Thank you for letting me know about Sharktivity. I feel like I can download that and cut out the middle woman here. Like, now we've got the app for that. We don't need Christine. So that all works out. Thanks for the tip.
10: Why? And Why? He, Dan even said, he's like, I saw that coming. How did you not see that, Christine?
3: Yeah, yeah, it's I'll just, like, have technology do it for me and then have a nice, fun, chill vacation, and you can – Have your vacation somewhere else another time. I think that that's a great solution to all of this. You mentioned that there have been 11 sightings so far. How many attacks against humans? This year? This year. I don't think any this year. But Yeah, so, okay, so that's, again, let's just keep the threat in perspective. I don't stay completely out of the water. I'm not trembling in fear. I just don't want to spend lots and lots of time out there. The other thing is, and I'll just admit this, one of the other reasons I don't spend a ton of time swimming in the ocean, it's not the temperature, it's not the sharks. I get so easily sick, like motion sickness on boats and that sort of thing, I actually get seasick swimming in the ocean. What? That's how bad it is, yes. Like, if I'm bobbing around and the current is, you know, coming in and out and there are waves and it just, after a while, I start to get seasick just as a swimmer.
10: I have never, ever heard of that before, and I get seasick. I get car sick, but I am a person – if I'm at the beach, I need to be in the water just bobbing around for – it could be an hour at a time just chatting. Oh,
3: no. Bobbing. No, no. It's like two minutes maybe for me, and then it's back out. We'll have the the cooler. We got a really nice Yeti cooler for my parents as a gift. And those things are great, and it's got a Northwestern logo on it. And we load it up with Coke Zero and long drink and other things for other people, but those are my staples. And you get a good book. I've already read Brad Thor's book, Rising Tiger. We talked about that recently. We'll replay that interview on July 4th here on the show. So I've read that. I'll probably give the copy to my dad. I'll need another novel, I think, because that's how I spend a lot of my good time on the beach. I don't want to get too much sun. Because I can burn if I'm not careful. I can tan, but with my family history, that's not a great idea. So I like to be maybe a little bit in the shade, getting some indirect sunlight, reading a novel, taking in the sights and sounds of the beach. I like looking at the water and listening to the surf. I just don't spend a ton of time in the water. And sharks give me, plus the uh, seasickness thing, which is kind of embarrassing, those two things give me a pretty good excuse to stay mostly on the sand.
10: But— But how are you and I going to boogie board together?
3: I think that's the answer here. We're not. Because you're going to be here producing the show and then you'll do your. You keep
10: saying that. It's like you're you're making it seem like it's my job or something.
3: I think it is your job. Then you'll go on your lake vacation up to the New England neck of the woods a few weeks later. And YY will hold down the fort here and everything will be just. Just fine. Now, Wyatt is a regular beach going individual. We know that he gets up when he's home down at the Jersey Shore. He gets up every morning at three forty five a.m. with his advanced copy of The Wall Street Journal. And he waits for the sun to start rising so he could read it in the natural light, often in a full suit, Um, sometimes smoking a pipe, although with no tobacco, obviously, and sometimes a monocle. Sometimes not. It depends on how formal he's feeling on any given day. Wyatt, because of this, I sort of get the sense that you probably aren't someone who spends a ton of time in the ocean.
4: Yeah, it, it just really depends on, on the weather. Like if it's a really, really hot day and the water is warmer than what it normally is, then yes. I mean, when I was younger, I was always in the water. But now as I've gotten older, I kind of just like to relax on the beach.
3: Yep, I am, I'm with you on that. Dan, are you a beach guy or not really?
5: Not really. I can't do the whole, like, lay out on the beach for five hours thing. Like, I like going in the water, and I like, you know, doing all that sort of stuff. But just laying there and listening to music and doing all that is just not for me.
3: Really? See, just having some music on and a book? No. Some I don't, drinks?
5: No, I don't like it. I don't know. I get too hot, and then I burn, and then I don't know.
3: Well, you can have an umbrella, right? You can set up a whole little arrangement so that you don't burn. Yeah, but then See, I want to See, w- to me, that's just a it. great way.
5: I don't want to carry the umbrella. <laughs> it's not
3: a lot of work. There's, It's really not that much to carry. And by the way, one thing that's cool about our beach, there's a portion of the beach that's only for residents. And you have to do this whole thing with the tires on your SUV, but you can drive onto the beach. And you have your own little setup with your car. So it's like really like a little pod of activity where it's your car. You can have anything you need in that car, music, food, drinks, or whatever. And that, I think, really enhances the beach experience. But you don't do that for a quick trip to the beach. You don't do a 20-minute or even really a two-hour trip to the beach if you're going to drive on. That's a day-long thing. That's if you're going to be there for four, five, six, seven, even eight hours. And I'd say seven or eight hours is long for me. But a couple hours, maybe four hours at the beach just chilling in good weather, that is – part of the decompression experience of summer vacation. So hopefully the weather cooperates. Hopefully the news cycle cooperates. And it's a somewhat slower news cycle after July 4th. Usually it's a pretty quiet week, but you never know these days. So I will guess I'll have my phone sort of to kind of glance down at just in case. But I plan to unplug as much as I can. And then, Christine, you can ask me all of your curious Christine questions after the fact. I think that would be have a any. happy medium.
10: I won't have any because I'm going. <laughs> and also, can I just say one thing? I just told Dan it's like this.
3: such a threatening tone. <laughs> yes, go on. We're almost out of time, but Speaking please. Speaking
10: of the beach, I didn't know people actually go to the beach in the morning and stay all day. My mother, Judgey choice was a little on the cheaper side. We only went once the lifeguards were off duty, so she didn't have to pay to get on the beach.
3: Oh, is that a thing? <laughs> like a money-saving. Well, in Joe Biden's America, I'm not surprised if that would happen. I think I actually very much enjoy the evening beach experience as the sun is setting. The temperature there is great. I also like sometimes walking on the beach in inclement weather, as long as you're not going to get you know hit by lightning or something. Like a little bit of a breeze in the off-season, a little bit chilly, maybe if it's not pouring rain, obviously. But I like the beach off-season as well. Because Roy, our dog, is not allowed on the beach in season. Off-season dogs are allowed, and he has the time of his life. Just racing, running hundreds of yards at a time. He loves it. But when the beaches are crowded and it's just, you know, a crush of people in the summer, no dogs allowed, unfortunately. But we'll get a lot of cute photos of him with the ocean in the background, on a leash, and all of that. So, anyway, the upshot is off tomorrow and next week. We've got a great show on Monday, a best of terrific guest host the rest of the time, and then back here after that. Have a wonderful July 4th. Happy Independence Day in the United States of America, the greatest country on earth. I will be back here the week after next. See you on Kennedy Tonight and on America's Newsroom tomorrow. Thank you very much for listening. It is The Guy Benson Show.